And now, and now, introducing the one, the only. Now let me introduce to you lively talk with successful people, barely filtered. This is the Jenna Ben Show. What's going on? Thank you so much for tuning in to the Jenna Ben Show. I'm your host, Jenna Benemy, and with us today, guys, I have Anthony Lionheart Smith, ranked number six in UFC's light heavyweight division, winning performance of the night four times amongst like a million other accolades. What's up, Anthony? Welcome. Thanks for having me. I hope everything's going well with you. Everything is good. I'm in my home studio right now amidst quarantine and riot life, I guess. Um, (laughs) Hashtag riot life. I know. I don't even know like what the PC way of saying it is because it's so new, but um, it is what it is. And I just pray for everyone's safety at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's super crazy. You know, here in Nebraska, it's not, it's not as bad. Uh, I think here in the Midwest, we tend to get a little bit less uh, than, you know, the East coast and the West coast. We always, we get it a little bit, but never nearly as bad. Uh, We had some pretty crazy riots last Friday and Saturday. Mm. Um, But, you know, I'm really happy with my city, you know, here in Omaha, we, it was bad Friday and Saturday and there was curfews and, you know, it was just really sad stuff. And, and, and all week long, uh, everyone, everyone, it, it kind of went the peaceful way. Everyone kind of decided we were, we were going to, you know, not, not loot and not hurt people that, that didn't mm. do anything. It's just, it's cool. So the, the curfew got lifted. Uh, it was supposed to go through Wednesday. It got lifted today, uh, because everything's been peaceful. So at least on my end, uh, I'm happy to see that for sure. That's awesome. Anthony, I'm not going to let you get away with not giving us your lion impersonation. So give it to us. <laughs> oh, yeah, right. Uh, I'm not a very good lion impersonator. I, you know, I got that uh, that nickname. I, I would love to be able to tell you that I got the nickname because I was this ferocious, you know, monster when I was coming <laughs> up. But that that's not the case. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Lionheart. No. Uh, it's, it's, oh, my God. You got to watch it. Okay. Uh, it, it's a Van Damme movie. I, it, it came out in like the 80s. And and it was actually a movie that I really liked. Uh, I was a big Van Damme fan growing up. And yes. uh, I I was really bad as an amateur. I sucked. I, 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 got, I got my ass kicked all the time. And mm-hmm. I would always pull out these crazy finishes at the end, you know, because I just wasn't technically at the level of, of the rest of the guys. I just wanted it more. Uh, so this right. announcer is like, you have a nickname? I said, no, I don't. Uh, and, and, you know, kind of as history, you know, goes, people, you're not like fighters aren't supposed to give themselves nicknames. Yeah. It's supposed to be a name that's given to you. So he asked, I said, no. And he said, have you ever seen the movie Lionheart? And I was like, yeah. And he hmm. said, that's like you. Because in the movie, uh, Van Damme is fighting for his family and he's, he's trying to trying to make as much money as he can. And he and he's 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 really good at fighting. And he ends up in these underground fighting rings and people are betting money. And, you know, they're like in these these parking garages and backyards and there's all these super rich people around betting on people and that's how he starts to make money and, and then he ends up being super successful from it um and that's kind of how my career has gone you know i I just i'd lose i'd lose and then i would i'd figure it out at the end and and you know i'm essentially fighting for my life and, and that's how i got it actually that's such a cool story do you remember that reporter's name uh, I don't, I don't remember his name and I actually do run into him every once in a while, like at a grocery store or something, but, mm. uh, he's not in the business and he's not in the sport anymore. You know, he was, he was a really good announcer. Uh, mm. the sport just wasn't announcing is a tough job to really get into, uh, with guys like Bruce Buffer and Joe Martinez. 
Yeah. So, okay, so you're spending your time these days on your RZRs. Yep, yep. Tell us about that. I mean, is that the same thing as a quad or like what's different about it? Um, well, it's, it's, I mean, it's essentially, so it's a UTV. Um, it's, I mean, it's really like a little, I don't know. I mean, it's like a, a four wheeler that you drive essentially and with passengers. So mm. ride the razors a lot. Um, and it really, that's, that's not anything different. Like now, nowadays, like I see a lot more people on the trails and out riding and people are buying them, but like that it's a really easy thing that you can do while social distancing. So like mm-hmm. the things that I see affected by the coronavirus that people are kind of moving towards is actually things that I've been doing with my family for years. Like a lot of camping, fishing, uh, ATV and UTV riding, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> swimming pools, uh, you know, just a lot, a lot of stuff that like, you can't find a trampoline anywhere in Nebraska right now. <laughs> like it's impossible because <laughs> everyone's home and there's nothing else to do. And so it's, it's really cool to me to see everyone else doing that kind of stuff. But to me, it's just a regular day. So we, we travel all over the Midwest and, and, and we just drag them behind my, my RV. Uh, and we just find trails, whether it's Utah or like, we just got back from the Black Hills in South Dakota. We're going back there in the middle of July. Damn. Um, and then my uncle, uh, has like 80, 85 acres, uh, in my hometown where I grew up and we go there every Sunday. There's probably 20 families and, and everyone just gets on their, gets on their side by sides. And we just hit the gravel roads and we find access to the, to the river or sandbars and, and, and just hang out because it's there's really nothing else to do. And, and that's stuff that, and honestly, that's stuff typically we would be doing anyways. Are Are you taking your wife and the girls with you? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And they would like, they would be pissed if I didn't take them. No. Uh, oh my so God. I, I love have, it. Yeah. I have two razors. So I have a four seater and a two seater. Mm-hmm. So, um, my, my wife actually has the two seater and then I, I, I ride the four seater and it's, it's just a, it's a really fun hobby. You know, they're, they're kind of money pits, you know, like there's so many upgrades and, and new stuff you want to do to mm-hmm. them. So that you know, like, I got a stereo system in mine and a windshield and a new cage. Like it's just, you know, it's, it, but you know, it's something fun and the kids love it. My kids absolutely love it. Um, it never, I fell. love that. As soon as we start riding my two youngest, they usually fall asleep right away. Like that's it's like their happy place. You know, as soon as they get in, there's the vibration of the motor and dad's loud music and, and the wind in their face. And they, they just, you know, we get onto a trail or we get onto the, 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 minimum maintenance road and and like never fails their heads tip back and they just sleep you know and they'll be there for an hour and they'll wake up and they'll find the other kids and they'll find a big mud puddle or they'll go to the riverbank or they'll play in the sand and it's just we love it you know that is so cool i love that you're teaching these girls to do things other than like the things that society deems appropriate for little girls you know right well yeah they definitely don't uh they don't like really fit the mold for most kids their age. Like they're really, really tough. You know, unfortunately they're a little rougher uh, than they probably should be, but like, that's how I play with them. You know, like do we do the the dolls and nails and makeup thing for sure? <laughs> uh, we absolutely do that stuff. But I would say that we rough house and push each other down and wrestle and, and get dirty and they, they love camping and they're, you know, like they just, you know, they do the dirty stuff too. That's so cool. So here on the Jenna Ben Show, we dive into my guest's professional stories, basically how you got to be the super accomplished UFC fighter, the lessons you've learned, what's next for you, insights for the listeners. So 
I want to go way back in time. You're 31 years old. And by the way, our birthdays are one day apart. So shout out Hi. to my fellow Leo. There we yes. Go. <laughs> um, but yeah, take us way back in time to when you were a boy. What were you like as a kid? Like we lived in a really bad neighborhood. Um, it was just really dangerous. There was a lot of gang activity. Mm. Um, I got picked on a lot. You know, I was like, you know, I, I kind of told this story on Instagram, I guess a little bit, but everyone, everyone is looking to me kind of on social media to, to take a side, right? Like, mm, you cause you're biracial. Yeah, like who do you stand with? And like I don't really I like I'm not taking part in this race war. Like I've been discriminated against from from uh African American people when I was grow when I was in Colorado Springs in the bad neighborhoods because I wasn't black enough. Right. So I was the kid with the tight pants, you know, cuz my mom refused to let me, you know, dress any other way. I had to dress like a respectful young man. Mm. So I, I, because my pants fit, I got made fun of and beat up because I had tight pants on and I wasn't sagging and I didn't have a pager mm -hmm. and, and I just didn't fit in there. So I was, I was bullied and I, you know, like my first cage fights weren't in actual cages. They, they were in those jungle gym things, the domes, all the kids would lay their bodies on them and then I'd get thrown inside and have to fight everybody. And that's, oh that, my God. I mean, that's, that's how I started. Right. So, uh, and then when I moved to. So then, sorry to back up, it just wasn't a very good experience there. So my mom was just having a tough time, you know, with, with us two, you know, just me and my sister and my grandparents were helping and, and uh, my aunt lived there too. So it was like a big family, but like, it was just tough. Everyone was working, you know, it's just how it was. So was your mom the white or the black one? My mom's white. My mom's white. Okay. Did so that, does that influence you in any way? I don't think so. You know, I don't, I don't think so. I think it's just, I, I think, I think people just are who we are, you know, and, mm -hmm. and maybe, and maybe you are a little bit of a product of your environment, you know, like, I think my life would be a lot different, um, had I grown up with my dad for sure. So, um, I, I definitely think that that does influence you, but like my mom, she, she was great, you know, like she, she held it mm -hmm. together and, and, and did what she had to do for us. And she raised two kids and, you know, so, and she's super successful herself. It's just, uh, you know, that's the cards that she was dealt. So that was kind of how my experience in uh, the Springs went. Well, great. it's nice to see, I can tell that you, you're just, you're a kind, genuine person just from having spoken with you a bit. And it's nice to see, you know, you grew up in a nice home. I, I know you had your challenges with your father, but um, that childhood that your, your mom and your her side of the family were able to provide for you, I think definitely helped mold you into this awesome father and husband, wouldn't you say? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Well, you know, I didn't always, you know, before my dad died, I was able, I think that, you know, probably the last two years of his life, I think him and I were able to mend that relationship a little bit and, and get to a place where we had more understanding um, mm. of each other. But for a lot of years, most of my life, I, you know, I hated him. So I used my experience with my dad is, is more of a, more of a blueprint of what not to do. Mm -hmm. I just, I just figure like, if I never know what, if I'm ever stuck or I don't know how to take care of something, or I don't know, I don't, as a parent, like, I don't know if you have kids, but as, as a parent, like, you don't always know the answer, you know, of course not, you don't, yeah. and you don't always know if you're doing a good job or not. Cause sometimes you're just in the, in the chaos of life with kids and, Sometimes you sit back and like, oh man, like, am I doing this all right? You know? And you don't uh, get the results immediately. Like sometimes something you do now, well, you'll find out later. You're like, shit, 
Right. Yeah. Like, am I messing this up like five years from now? Like, I don't know. (laughs) Um, So I just try to look at my experiences with him and just kind of do the opposite and just hope that that's going to, and hope that that's going to work out. Um, So yeah. And, and, and my mom definitely is a, is a big influence, you know, but there's also Mm -hmm. things that, you know, I would never tell her this, you know, and, and fortunately I hope, you know, I hope she doesn't listen to this, but Mm-hmm. Um, there's, there's definitely things that I took from my experiences with my mom too, that, um, that I've used in my own relationship with my kids. Like my mom it w- was a workaholic, you know, she, but, it, and she had to be like, she yeah, was a super successful woman. Um, and most of her time was spent at work. So we were with my grandparents a lot. Uh, and I know that that is a necessity. And, and if you have to weigh it, like, maybe maybe i'm struggling financially but i'm more time with my kids or my kids can have you know a good life and 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 have everything they need but i'm not going to be around that much mm. it's kind of a balancing act right so i even w- when we were not doing as well financially i kind of always chose to i kind of went the other way that she did than she did like I, mm. i'm going to choose more time with my family and i'll figure out the financial side later like and and I used that experience with her because I, 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 I like I'm very fortunate that I always had everything I needed growing up. Yeah. Uh, but I don't remember feeling so fortunate for having everything I needed growing up. I didn't feel that way. I just right. I just missed my mom. Oh, well, you know what, though, even if she does hear this, she's going to understand that. Listen, she did the best that she could. And I bet you if she were to explain it, she'd say I busted my butt because maybe I wasn't so sure that I would have this same income next month or next year or whatever it is, you know? And so she was just making sure that you guys were set up for the long haul, or she might just actually say, listen, you're right. If I could go back in time, I would make more time for us to have moments together because at the end of the day, you know, memories are all we have. But, um, yeah, I mean, listen, this is, this is like, there are lessons for us and not just in parenthood, but in life, like we do the best that we can. And sometimes the outcome is just different than desired, you know? For sure. For sure. And that's the worst part. Sometimes you don't figure it out until afterwards. You're like, oh man, (laughs) I should have done that different. (laughs) I mean, not to get all philosophical, but isn't that why we're here on earth? I, I feel like, you know, we come here and we have this kind of journey and we have these lessons to figure out and do you do you ever notice how you'll get these kind of snapshots of things coming into your mind um like memories from the past and it's totally random like nothing you're doing now had anything to do with what you were just reminded of but it's almost like these are things that keep replaying themselves until we resolve them right right yeah crazy right Yeah. Crazy. Crazy. (laughs) You and I could talk for days. All right. But I do want to get into your story. So did you have like a profession in mind when you were a kid? Like, what did you want to be when you grew up? I didn't really know. I didn't, Mm -hmm. I didn't know, you know, like I've always explained my life as like a, like this lost ship. Like I was just always floating around and not really knowing where I was going. You know, I just, I had no idea. Like I, I was very like singular focused. So I was a wrestler and like my goal was to go to college, but I didn't really care about what my career was going to be. I just wanted to wrestle in college and I didn't think any further than that. You know, like I, I, I wasn't looking any further than my hand in front of my face. Yeah. So, and once my grandpa died, like it was bets off. Like I didn't give a shit about anything. 
Uh, mm. But so my, my grandpa was my rock. And, and when my grandpa died, you know, like he, he, he got cancer and it was really fast. And I had to help my mom take care of him because he was such a large man. Mm. Like, I had to help him walk. And I had like, and my mom, this is something that she actually just talked about before um, with ESPN. It was like one of her biggest regrets in life was kind of forcing me to help her take care of him while he was dying. Mm. So like he was, she, she just needed the help and it was just me, you know, like I was, my sister was too young and she didn't want her to see it. So it's like helping her bathe him and he's you know, hospice is there. And uh, like, I remember standing at his door for like hours watching him breathe and hoping he was going to continue breathing, you know, like it's just mm-hmm. the whole messed up deal. But yeah, uh, when he died, like it was bets off. So I just was a crazy person, you know, I was partying my ass off. And, and just essentially doing whatever I wanted. Like, I just didn't care. Like, like there was no curfew. There was no school. Like if I didn't want to go, I just didn't go. And I didn't give a shit who thought it it was wrong. You know, like my mom tried, but I was just out of control and I wasn't being disrespectful. I wasn't, wasn't hurting anybody. I wasn't out stealing stuff. I wasn't, you know, I'd gotten in fights like any other high school kid does at parties, but like there were mutual fights. I wasn't picking on people. I wasn't, you know what I mean? Like I wasn't just destroying property. I was just, I was just out of control. I just didn't, honestly, I didn't care. It's not like I was suicidal. I just didn't give a shit of what happened to me. Like mm-hmm. it worked out, it worked out. If it didn't, it didn't. And if, and if it did, hopefully it was fun. And that's kind of how I looked at it. So, um, through all that, um, I'd gotten in a bunch of trouble. I'd gotten DUIs, you know, before, way before I was 18. Uh, wow. and, gotten in a bunch of trouble with my wrestling team well eventually they just couldn't do it anymore and they kicked me off the team so then i was only remember i'm only in school because i want to go wrestle in college it's the only reason i'm going yeah Uh, that was the one thing keeping you there it was the only thing that was keeping me there so once i got kicked out like i had enough credits i could have graduated early um but i didn't want to be there if i couldn't wrestle so which i mean looking back and like being a 31 year old adult yeah thing in the world right but at the time you know that's the only thing i was there for so as soon as I got kicked off the team, I, I dropped out. And then a couple months later, I walked into, you know, it's the famous subway story. I walked into a subway with a friend and seen, uh-huh. a, flyer, seen a flyer for an amateur fight night. Uh, and this is way before it was sanctioned in Nebraska. There was, you know, there was no sanctioning body. The commission didn't oversee it. Uh, and it was just a really, you know, just really vague thing. And it had a time and a date and where it was at. And I was like, well, let's go watch it. <laughs> You're I like, mean, this sounds like a good idea. Yeah, I'm like, let's, well, I wanted to watch one first. Yeah, that was the plan. I wanted to watch it and see what it was because I'd seen some of the UFCs. Like my grandpa had rented the DVD or the VHS tapes, the blockbuster for me. Aww. And uh, so I knew what it was, but I was like, yeah. what is this in Omaha? Let's go. You know, it's like an hour drive. When me and my buddy, we grabbed a couple beers. We drove up there um, and I'm sitting in the crowd, you know, and like the entry was like four dollars, like at the door. Uh, <laughs> and I was like, this is the most amazing thing I've ever seen in my whole life. And then the announcer came in the cage and they had odd numbers of people that signed up. Cause back then you didn't know who you're going to fight. You just signed up and they tried to match you up as close as they could in weight and experience. So they got up there with a the microphone and said, we need someone that we, that weighs between 160 and 195 pounds. Oh and my God. Like, and I was like 175 at the time. So I was like, I just raised my hand. I was like, I'll do it. So they just rolled me back there. I filled out the little paper. I lied about my age and, and reversed the year by one. Um, so it would have made me nine, it would have made me 18 years old. Yeah. Um, and they gave me like someone's basketball shorts, but you had a boil, they had a, like 
these stupid sentry gloves and a boil and buy mouthpiece. We, you know, heated it up in the microwave and, and I fought. <laughs> That's how I started. Wait, that same night? That same night, yeah. Oh my God, that is insanity. Okay, jumping back into your story, Anthony, you hopped around quite a bit, but you're like a true OG of the sport. You've been doing this since you were 17 and you started fighting pro under strike force until it ended. And then you joined the UFC, got released from the UFC, and then ended up fighting under Bellator and then got re-signed to the UFC. Yeah. So craziness. I mean, you hopped yeah. around. <laughs> Yeah, How did you feel about that experience? Yeah. Oh, terrible. It was terrible. <laughs> it was awful. It sucked so bad. Um, well, it took me forever to finally get signed. So I got signed to Strike Force. And I really liked Strike Force. That was a lot of fun. Hmm. And I and I it's so cool to like look back at those times now. Like some of the people I was on cards with, like we didn't know at the time like the star that Ronda Rousey was gonna be. Mm. Uh, but I was on two cards with Ronda Rousey before she was like the superstar Ronda Rousey. Like she was super popular even then, but yeah, you know, I fought on cards with Ronda Rousey and Misha Tate. Um, uh, and Misha's super cool. Uh, super good person, by the way. But, um, you know, Jacare, uh, was, was like young and a, and a killer back then. And him and Rockhold were having their fights all the time. And, you know, just some of the, you know, Fedor was in Strike Force, and like it was just crazy, right? So, um, that was fun. And then we got uh, in the USC bot Strike Force, and then I fought Hodger Gracie and got submitted. And then they gave me a chance to fight in Brazil uh, for my UFC debut. They they bought the UFC honored my contract and brought me over. And then I got I blew my knee in Brazil. And then got cut, and it took me. That was like the one time when I was like, "God damn, I might not make it. Mm. I don't know if this is gonna work." Because then I, you know, I was like, "You know what? I'll just fight a super tough UFC vet." Uh, Josh Near had just gotten cut right about the same time. I was like, "Well, if I can just beat another tough UFC vet, maybe I'll get another shot." Yeah. And then I got, and then I got beat uh, by Josh. I was, I tried cutting to 170. We did a, a catch weight at 175. So I was super depleted, and and just, that was that was the one time that I got broken. Uh, Josh near broke me in my hometown mm, on all my friends and family. So much. Okay. See, I talk about this with fighters. It it's like these fights in your hometowns are they're like a different beast, and it yeah. can either work against you or for you. Because when you get that win, that win is better than any other win. Because you know it's like you're repping your people, and they're there to make you feel super loved. But if you lose, it's like compounded by ten, right? Oh yeah. And he, and he did, he broke me. Like I, I won the first couple rounds and, and he was just, he was just a grizzled veteran, you know, and, and he just, I, I didn't have the gas tank, uh, at that weight class and, mm. and it just, it was, it was ugly. You know I mean? He broke me with my mom in the front row. You know what I mean? Oh. Like it was, oh God, it was terrible. So then I, that's when I was like, oh God, like I might not be. And I broke my hand. So I had back-to-back injuries. <sighs> so I didn't actually know what was going to happen then. And then I just, you know, I just picked up the pieces and then rattled off um, eight wins in a row, including two fights in Bellator. Um, and then that's how I got resigned. And then capped it off. I won seven in a row. And then the eighth fight was a rematch with Josh Neer. And I finished him at the beginning of the first round. And that's how I got resigned. Mm, and you fought Rashad Evans and won by knockout. And Rashad is actually coming on the show. So Rashad, I'm curious. Me and Rashad are actually good friends. 
No uh, way. I was going to ask if you had any words for him. Give him a shout out. Yeah, Rashad is uh, Rashad is a much different person than he used to be uh, when he was younger. He's me and Rashad spent a lot of time. Uh, we worked at the, the analyst desk together a lot for ESPN. Nice. Uh, and Rashad has become. I don't know how to put this without making Rashad sound old. <laughs> Rashad, <laughs> Rashad has become very much like a, a mentor figure to me. Um, mm, that's amazing. It, it's a really, yeah, it's a weird deal. You know, like I had a bunch of fights at 85 and then Rashad was my first fight at, at 205 in the UFC. So, you know, at the time, it, we, you know, there, I wouldn't say there was heat, but like we were very competitive. You know, we're both super sure. competitive and, or Rashad Evans is full. He's, he's a man who uh, he's a sweetheart. He's like very full of love. You just want, I'll, I'll give you a, a quick, a quick story about how good of a person Rashad is. Yeah. I come, I come to the desk. Um, you know, like we get our call times or whatever. And Rashad always comes already dressed. I always come in like sweatpants and a t-shirt and I got my suit in a bag and I change later on. Cause I don't like sitting in it all day, but yeah. Rashad is a constant professional. He shows up, he's ready to rock and roll. Um, I show up, you know, we see each other, we got a big embrace, like, you know, Hey, how are you doing? And I got a Red Bull in my hand. He doesn't say anything about me having the Red Bull. About an hour later, I pull up my Instagram and I have a, just a message from, from Rashad. And I'm like, dude, why don't, why don't you just call or text me? Or like, what are you messaging me on Instagram for? Mm. So I open it. It's like a 25 long, a 25 minute long video about what energy drinks do to you like physically, like what it does Aww. to your organs and your heart and your brain. Like he's that type of guy. Was it him speaking or was it something he sent to you from someone else? No, it was something he, he scrolled through Instagram to find this video that he had seen just to send it to me. That is so sweet. Oh, yeah. I can't wait to talk to him about that. Yeah, that is, that is like Rashada. And like we have these super deep talks about life and kids and, and like what the meaning of the world is. Like he is one of the most, he has one of the most interesting perspectives on life. Like every time I talk to Rashad, I feel like I've just became a better person. Oh, and like, I, 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 I think you're going to have that same experience. Like he, I, did, I, I feel like everyone in the world needs to have 20 minutes with Rashad Evans. Oh and my God. I'm telling you, I know this sounds crazy because we fought and, and you know, what happened happened and, and we joke about it on the desk sometimes, you know, he knows it makes me uncomfortable when they talk about our fight. You know, I just don't, cause I like Rashad. So it's like, I don't like talking about it when he's around. Um, but I just, I really believe that he's just, he's a, he's a, he's an incredible human. Mm, love it. I can't wait to set in this clip. Okay. So now you train at factory X with coach Mark Montoya and teammate Maurice green, who was also on the show. But Factory X is in Colorado, and you're in Nebraska. So how does that work? Uh, so I have my gym here that I that I train out here in between fights. Mm -hmm. uh, I do the last about seven seven ish, like between six and eight weeks, I guess, uh, of every training camp I do in Denver uh, with mm -hmm. Mark Montoya. Okay. And then I come home. I have a really crazy schedule. I'm in Denver Monday through Friday. I fly home every Friday night, and then fly back to Denver at six a.m. every Monday morning. Oh, so you can be with your family. Mm -hmm. I've never missed a weekend. Oh, family man. I love that. Crazy. Right? And your wife's name is Michaela. Yeah. I love that name, by the way. Shout out to Michaela for being super mom and, you know, managing throughout the week while you're gone. Yeah, she kills it. So, okay. So what do you say to the people who claim that you need a better team in your corner? You got a lot of comments about that on Instagram. 
after your last fight. Yeah, well, no one was saying that when I knocked out Rashad or Shogun or beat Vulcan or beat Gustafson or, you know what I mean? Like, we can keep rattling off the names, but, like, I don't, I don't think that – and I didn't even have a bad performance. Like, if you go and look at those first two rounds, this is probably the best I've ever looked in my entire career. Hmm. Um, I just – I'm not going to sit here and make excuses, but there's a lot of things that happened in that training camp that uh, that contributed to – some of the things that happened in the fight. Um, it just, it is what it is. And, and I've been doing that to people since two, you know, since 2006, like sometimes the cards are just going to fall and you're, someone's just going to whoop your ass one of these days and you're not going to be expecting it. And that's just, that's just how it goes. And, and once he, once he hit me with the uppercut and broke my orbital, I just couldn't see the shots coming that well. Mm-hmm. Just, that's, that's just the game we play, you know? And yeah. I, I just, and they don't have a choice. They, they, as far as technically how I looked and, and how I was performing up until that moment, I think it was the best I've ever looked in my entire career. After mm. that, you know, obviously, you know, kind of shit hit the fan and didn't go well. Yeah. Uh, but they don't have a choice. They can't stop the fight and they all know that. So right. you got to kind of give them a break. Like they, even if they wanted to, and it sounds like that none of them even thought about it, but even if they did, they did, that option is completely taken from them. And I handcuffed the ref before the fight even started. So everyone's hands are kind of clean on this one, if you ask me. But, you know, I'm also not an internet troll. <laughs> Burn. Right. Um, you know, I, I love it. And I can tell, you know, it's so funny. You and I are very similar. And I wonder if it's because our birthdays are like right there. And, and if anyone believes in astrology and, you know, personalities and whatever. Um, but, uh, you know, you're very loyal and you're, you're honest with your loyalty. You know, I think that if they were at fault, you would probably acknowledge like some of the negatives, but also the positives, but you're just, you're speaking from your heart and calling it like it is. And I really respect that. Well, thank you. Well, I just, I feel bad. That's, I feel bad because it's my fault. Um, number one, it's my fault for putting myself in a bad position and, and getting caught with the uppercut and, and having the broken orbital. And that's, that's what it is. You know, there's no luck in this game. There's no lucky punches. Every punch is thrown to hurt someone. So yeah. not like, I don't, I don't like when people say, Oh, Glover just hit you with the lucky punch. Well, he threw the punch expecting to punch me in the face. And that's what he did. You know? Right. So <laughs> I don't look at that as luck. Um, but I had those conversations with my corner a long time ago. Like, like I'm, I'm coming out with my shield or on it. And that's the rule. I didn't make it this far in life having a backup plan. You know, yeah. I, I, I don't, I don't need, and I don't, and, and I know I've said this a hundred times and, I, and I'm going to say it again. I don't need liabilities in my corner. My coaches mm-hmm. are paid to help me, to help me win. And, and I don't need to worry that every time I get into a bad spot, I mean, you've seen me fight. Sometimes there's just chaos going on, you know? Yeah. And I don't, I don't need to always be worried that someone in the corner is getting, is getting cold feet and can't handle it. Um, right. You know, I've been in a lot of bad situations in my life and I've been through a lot of crazy, crazy stuff. And none of it, like in, if I had a list of the 10 craziest moments of my life, not one of them would be fight related. It doesn't mm-hmm. even make the list. So it's not like I'm stressed out in there. I'm not. Um, so I, I just, I don't need them stopping the fight. And I, I do the same thing with the ref. I make sure that I know what his commands sound like. And I make sure that I hold him to his word when he says this is what it's going to sound like right before I stop a fight and this is what the command is and this is what I expect you to do when I give that command well now 
they think it's weird that I asked the question, but it's it, none of this has ever come into play. It's never mattered. I've been doing that with the ref for five years at least. And I've told my corners that for almost my entire career. So everyone's like making it seem like all of a sudden Anthony Smith has lost his mind and he's just, he's out there with a death wish. Like you guys had no problem with the way that I fought and the way I did things up until like the one, you know, the one time that this happens to come into play. Like it's always been like this. You guys just now know about it. Um, Mm -hmm. So, you know, like the ref couldn't do anything different because he know, he knew that I had asked all those questions before. So now he, now he has to keep his word. Right. You know, it's complicated and us spectators don't always get to see what happens behind the scenes. And, you know, one thing I learned when I was on that Zoom training for the MMA officials is it's a very different perspective when you're in that cage. The camera doesn't catch everything that we see. So I would imagine that kind of plays into what you're saying. Yeah. Well, and- Oh, I've I've had a really hard time. Like I've had a really hard time with all this with after the fight, just because I'm trying to be very respectful to the fans, but at the same time, um, I'm I've never been criticized for not giving up before until now. Um, well, it was hard to watch. I just have to say, you know, yeah, I, like... and and okay, then I'll instead of speaking to the entire fan base, I'll just speak to you. That's fine. Go for it. I think that the world has gotten kind of soft. I think that I think that like people don't know what we go through and they don't know what a training camp looks like and they don't know like it and you can take it. It it wasn't even that bad. Like when I watched it, I was like, I don't know what everyone's complaining about. Well like, it, it, it was an extended I, period, you know. Well, like I never took any like any hard shot I took, I never took repeated shots in a row. Like if you mm-hmm. hit me with a big shot like I'd immediately move position or close the distance or like I never got, it's not like he landed four and five big bombs or elbows in a row. Mm-hmm. Like I did take a few super big punches or elbows like here and there. Uh, but it was a lot of pop shots. Like it was a lot of small. And I think that they sound worse because there's no crowd and the microphone is so loud. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that, I think people are figuring out like, like, is it, is it bad? And is he landing those punches for sure? But had the entire arena been full, and the the sound is muffled, and and like you've seen those you've seen those exact same punches, but couldn't hear them like you could. Mm-hmm. I think that's why none of the fighters are surprised. Like people are like, "Oh my god, this is incredible!" Without the sound, and we're like, "What are you talking? About? That's what it always sounds like." But we're mm-hmm. the ones that are in there, so we got, obviously can hear it. But yeah, like, like if you just close your eyes and listen to it, it sounds terrible. But if you like plug your ears and watch it, it doesn't look that bad. Right. <laughs> Oh, well, I mean, since you are speaking to me, I will simply say, you know, I'm a softie and I own it and I just love everyone and I don't want anyone getting hurt, but this is your sport. Which I appreciate, which I, and and that's the the balancing act that I'm playing with the fans. It's like, I'm not, I'm not unappreciative that you guys care. Like, I'm not unappreciative that like people are worried about my, my health and safety and that they're, that they did have a hard time watching it, not only because of the damage, but because they do like me, uh, and and I think I've done a pretty good job uh, versus how a lot of fighters do. Like I just give you the real me. It's the genuine me. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just that's who I actually am. And and but the other side of it is like, like this is what we signed. It. This is what we signed up for, and I can take it. And and you would have tapped if not. Yeah. Well, no, no, no. but <laughs> no, 
never. But um, I, I just, it just wasn't that bad. And like, you, you can't really have it both ways either. Like people complain about fights with no action going on. And then there's finally a fight that's got a lot of action going on. And, <laughs> and now it's too much. Like, come on, like you can't have it both ways. It's either there's a bunch of a- action means someone's getting their ass kicked. And unfortunately it was me this time, but I'm not, I'm not blind to the fact that I'm sure that it was exciting to watch and which is part of my job. Right. So I, it is. It, it's just, I just don't think people like, I think a lot of people, and I think that like you're probably different. So I guess talking to just you is different because you're, you're involved in the sport and you talk to a lot of the guys and, and like, you're, you're, you're like, you're an insider, mm-hmm. but a lot of people like to say, if you scroll through, like I actually did this, like if you look at my Twitter and like you just pick out like one person that was talking shit about the fight mm-hmm. and then you go back through their own Twitter feed, you'll find plenty of fights where they're completely mad that this is a boring fight with no action. And they just want to see blood and guts and like, yeah. and then they see my fight and they're like, oh my God, this is, this is crazy. These corners, they got to stop the fight. Like, what do you want really want then? Like, you don't it, even know what you want. That yeah. It's difficult. I I do find it frustrating that. You know, sometimes everyone's got an opinion and they can be very aggressive with their opinions. And, you know, the opinion, the opinions tend to be very either black or white, you know, very polarizing. And unfortunately, that's just an option now when people get to hide behind their computers, you know. Yeah, the world is definitely a, a, a different place because of social media. And, and you know, that's part of it. That's part of our jobs. It's what makes us popular. Yeah. And I, and I try not to let it bother me too much. It's more I felt bad for my coaches and corners. Uh, yeah. Aside from that, like, I think sometimes people forget that, like, social media isn't real life. And I had to say the same thing to James Krause and Mark Montoya. Like, you guys need to chill out. Like, this isn't the real world. Like, if that same person talking shit to you, seen you in the streets, they'd want to shake your hand uh, and meet you. That's just oh. how it is. It's how it is most of the time. So, like, if they're talking about us, uh, at least we're we're out there. You know what I mean? Like. It, it is what it is. Like you can't, you can't let how social media perceives you or, or the things people say to you online. Like that's kind of their job, you know. Like that's a good a, way of looking at it. It's their yeah, job. It's, it's not that's personal. their job. Yeah, it's not personal. Like their job is to be Twitter trolls. That's just what it <laughs> is. Like MMA media, their job is to find a story. And honestly, if we flip the roles, and I'm looking for a story, that's a pretty goddamn easy one. You know, like we gave you an easy story. And, 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 and <laughs> I told Mark, I told, yeah, I told Mark Montoya, like, just wait until you have other guys fight, you know, have a couple guys win. You'll be the best coach in the world. Sure. Yeah. Shit. Go look online. He had Brandon Royville hit a bonus for beating Tim Elliott and, uh, uh, Chris, uh, Gutierrez, uh, had a stoppage by late kicks. Mark Montoya is now again, the best coach in the business. <laughs> so like, it's all, it took two weeks. And it's right back, you know? <laughs> well, good for him. I, I hear he's an awesome guy. I haven't had the opportunity to meet him just yet. So, um, Anthony, you fought as a middleweight for 10 years. And then in 2018, you moved up a class to light heavyweight. Were you just like F dieting? That's it. I want to eat now. Or <laughs> what was the strategy there? Uh, well, you know, I think we're and we're still in it a little bit. But the culture has always been you try to be the bigger man in the, in the smallest division possible. Mm. And that's kind of an old wrestling thing that got carried over um from you know from like the amateur wrestling stuff but i just couldn't do it anymore i, I the 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 return of my investment wasn't there like i was cutting all the weight and my biggest fight i had was with the scale 
so I, I was, I was killing myself, you know, my, my body was starting to store fat around my organs to protect them from the ensuing famine that was about to come. How did so you getting, know? About the, the fat part of it? Yeah. I'm just curious from a science perspective, like what tipped you off? Uh, the PI. I mean, I was just continually gaining weight. We couldn't figure out where it was going. Like they would do my body, they do the body fat analysis, like just the pinch test, you know? Yeah. And my body fat was at like 6%, but I was still gaining, you know, 40 pounds or 30 pounds, like every single fight. So it was like, where is this going? So then they put me through this machine called the Dex Dexca. Anyways, I can't say it, but it's a scanning machine and um, it takes forever. And it slices you into like, like millions of pieces, right? As you're in this machine and it just goes over your body and it, Tells you exactly how much your bone weighs, exactly how much like your muscle mass is. Uh, and then I had this huge fat mass like around my organs. And it's uh, because I'm in this feast and famine, like I'm binging because I'm starving. Yeah. And then fight camp comes and then I crash the entire fight camp. So I got to get from, you know, 230 to 185 in six weeks. But I can't, I could never get naturally, I could never get under 200. Uh, so I was bare, I was killing myself to even get just under 205 so that I could check in the Tuesday before the fight. And then I'd crash all week down to 85. What's your walk around weight now? Uh, like 215 max. Okay. So, so once, I, once I went up, like, yeah, once I went up a weight class, my body weight came down. So when I stopped doing the feast and famine thing, my body was able to release it. And, uh, when I was getting ready to fight Rashad, I was two and a half weeks from the fight mm-hmm. and I was under 205 on accident. I didn't, I didn't diet. I didn't change anything. It's just once my body, like your mind is a powerful thing. Like once my brain told my body, like we don't have to do this anymore, mm-hmm. it just released everything. So then my body weight just crashed and I couldn't even keep it up. So I, I've actually had to work my way back to 215 because as soon as I went up, I did one training camp and I, I lost like 25 or 30 pounds. Well, I wish I could trick my body into just (laughs) (laughs) it is not pretty around here, Anthony. I put on three pounds last time I weighed in and I am probably onto four now and I can't motivate. Like I have all these awesome people supporting me on Instagram and my friends and they're like, just go, just go. But it's like quarantine and riots and everything and curfew at it. I just, I don't know. I'm having a hard time moving, but um, you're going to have to just chalk this year up. The summer might just get chalked up as a loss. No. <laughs> You're going to have to. No, I want, what is it? Hot girl summer? I want one of those. <laughs> I, don't think I don't think anyone's going to have a hot girl summer. Oh, man. I'm praying for it. I'm praying. Let's hope so, though. So, um, oh my God, there's so much I want to get through. And I, I swear I, could t- I might have to have you on the show for like a second half. But I do want to get into a couple of things today. So you fought... John Jones for the light heavyweight championship at UFC 235 in March 2019 lost via unanimous decision. So first, what was it like going up against John Jones? A lot easier than I thought it was going to be. Huh? Be what does that mean? Huh? He he did he did everything that he was that I that like my coaches and and like said he was going to do. Uh, I just again. Like I'm gonna write a book someday and it's gonna be goddamn crazy. But mm-hmm. I, I just couldn't pull the trigger. You know, I just I got caught watching him the whole time. I just couldn't 
I just mm-hmm. couldn't go. It's never happened to me in my entire career. And it, it wasn't even the moment, or it wasn't John. It was like. Did you psych yourself it, out because it's John Jones? No, not at all. Like I no, like I wasn't intimidated. I wasn't nervous. I wasn't. I just, I just watched the whole time. Like, I took way less damage in in the John fight than I have in most fights. Like he's fairly easy to read. Uh, nothing, not like not one individual skill that he does is that great. Um, like if you if you and that doesn't mean he's not the greatest ever because he is. But yeah. Um, if you if you break John's game down and you forced him to just like if they if if you force John Jones to just box with me, I would beat the dog shit out of John Jones. Hmm. If it was just wrestling, like MMA wrestling, like it would be competitive. And like in just jujitsu, I would like if we rolled like in the gym, I would submit John ten out of ten times. Interesting. Uh, it's mm-hmm. just the way he puts it together. Like his mind is 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 an incredible thing. Like he's like. Day to day life, John's an idiot, but like his fight IQ is mm. super high, and he listens really well to his coaches, um, and he's trained very well. So it, it just it wasn't really that hard. I just didn't, I just didn't offensively do anything, you know. Like defensively, yeah. fairly simple, you know. Like caught me here and there with some kicks and some front kicks and stuff. That was the one thing that was hard to deal with was like his left side is really dangerous. So he. You know, he's just constantly attacking from his left side with, uh, with like, teep kicks and oblique kicks. And, and, like, he mixes it up really well. But, like, John doesn't even throw combinations. So he's hard to counter. Mm-hmm. Um, it's he's, it's just one-shot variances. So, um, yeah, he's he's interesting. He's very he's, – he's interesting. That's so for sure. do you but, have a message for John Jones? Maybe that you're coming for that belt or uh... – <laughs> Uh, no, I've, I've had lots of messages for John Jones. Me and John Jones do not get along. Mm, I figured well, you're usually very like positive and then you're like, wow, he's an idiot. No, I mean, he, he is. I mean, I, I think that's pretty, pretty, pretty much out there, but John has taken our John, Okay. So I'm an ESPN analyst and I have a radio show and John Jones is in the news a lot. So because of his own actions, I tend to have to talk about him a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he doesn't enjoy it. <laughs> so, uh, and, and he took it very personal after the break-in at my house. Uh, so I've kind of just, uh, backed off of the, the whole John Jones thing and I'll just deal with that when I see John Jones. All right. Those could be fighting words, but we will wait to find out. So if there was one fight you could do over again, would this be the one? No, no, I would, I would like to go back and fight Tiago Santos again. Interesting. Why? Um, I don't know. That's just one I really want back. Hmm. Uh, I I want to fight John Jones right now because he has the title. I'm yeah. not really interested in like the John Jones fight itself. Isn't super exciting to me. Um, right. There's, there's very little in a John Jones fight. There's very little danger factor. So it, it it's John Jones isn't someone who would keep me up at night, mm-hmm. you know, like preparing for that fight. And like, there's not, there's not one skill that John Jones possesses that worries me. It's not something that like sitting around, you know, with a fork in your mouth in the middle of a meal and think, and then think about it. You know, Tiago Santos is that guy. Mm. Tiago Santos as like his, his danger level is a 10. In, in in my mind, John Jones is like a three. Yeah. 
Like he doesn't he doesn't care about what happens to him when he's in there. I got to go back and rewatch now that I'm getting to know you and to understand that this is such an impactful fight for you. I I think yeah. it'll help me understand you even better. And I thought I was going to die during the weight cut. Like I I genuinely <laughs> thought I wasn't going to make it to the fight. God. Like I I remember sitting in the in the sauna and I could feel my like my lower back was burning and like I could feel my organs cramping on the inside. Like I was like I might not make it through. I couldn't even stand up on the scale. I had to kneel down right before we got on the scale hurry up and ru- rush to the scale and then they had to kill the camera so that i could get off the scale and kneel down because i couldn't stand up oh my god it was awful and his, and his his weight cuts were equally as hard as mine i mean he's he's a monster guy too so um it's just that was a, a big learning experience for me yeah uh, that was when i decided i'd never cut to 185 again that was when you know i i, I learned something about about another man that was really interesting to me mm. um and honestly, me and Tiago, like when we see each other, it's, it, it's a very, it's uncomfortable for other people, but when we're <laughs> around each other, it's very, like, like we fist bumped and held hands while we were getting stitched up in the back together oh. like, like, like next to each other. Like it's, <laughs> it's always, uh, like he doesn't, like his English is getting better now, but yeah. uh, until recently, like he didn't speak very good English, almost zero English. And so you communicated through body language, which is right. So it's like, it's always this embrace. And it's like, like you can't do what we did to each other and, and, and just not leave there with this crazy amount of respect, you know? I love that. And like, and like I left a piece of myself with him, you know, like, and he did the same to me. So it's like, and we've talked to like our management have talked about us fighting again in the UFC. Like obviously the UFC wants that fight. Yeah. But it's got it's got to mean something. Like I'm not like neither one of us are willing to do that to each other. If it if it doesn't mean anything, like if it's not for a title shot, mm. or it's not for a title, or it's not for it. And I'm not the guy that's out here asking for a bunch of money. Like I do my negotiations privately. I never do it in the media. Yeah. Um, but unless it would be for like an astronomical amount of money, like if it just if we're just going in there to fight, then it has to be for a life changing amount of money. Like if we're gonna fight for a title or it's a title eliminator, like winner gets a title shot, then you know what, we gotta, we gotta, we gotta nut up and do it. But yeah, uh, it's, it's gotta mean something because neither one of us are going to leave that experience whole. Absolutely. I love that. And, you know, I'm sure there will come a time where I will meet him or, you know, be in touch with him. And I'd love to hear him describe the same experience in his words. Uh-huh. Yeah, I would, I would too. I would, I wonder what, he, I wonder what, he, how, like, how he feels about it. For him, probably nothing. He's like a, he's a, he's an interesting guy. Like, he was in the Brazilian military, so like, he's seen a lot of crazy stuff. Uh, <laughs> so I don't know if he felt if he would feel the same, but I would imagine it's pretty close. I mean, we, we definitely brought the best out of each other. And towards the end, he did kind of kick my ass a little bit. <laughs> okay. Drops. Okay, so we only have a few minutes left, and I really want to get your insight here on the differences between winning versus losing a fight emotionally. Now, these aren't backyard scraps that no one sees. I mean, you got hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people watching you, judging you, weighing in on what you should have done, like everyone's the expert. And then, you know, you have your team who's in the trenches with you for at least eight to 10 weeks and your loved ones who are just, you know, obviously they're watching you, but they want that win so bad for you. And so it's a lot of pressure. So describe the differences for us. What's going on in your mind and your heart, your body? 
Uh, well, well, winning. I think winning's a pretty easy one to to explain. You know, you you're the you're the the hero. You know, you you, you gave everything that everyone wanted. And there's a lot of people that put a lot of sacrifice into every training camp, whether it's your family that they don't see you, your wife is doing it on her own, or 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 whatever, and then you're making those sacrifices as well. But you're the one that's got to go in there and do it. So it, it's easy to justify, I guess. Um, you know, your coaches are putting time into you and they want to see you succeed. And, and, but when you lose, uh, it really feels like you failed everybody. It really does. It's, I'm, I'm a, I'm a terrible loser. Like I'm just not good at it. Um, I'm not, I'm just, I'm really bad at it. You mean in terms of how you internalize the loss or like how you, yeah, yeah. Like how I, well, I always come back better. I always come back stronger. Like it's always a motivating thing, Mm. but like emotionally, I'm just, I have a hard time dealing with it. Because I've just have put so much in it. I've dedicated my entire life to this since I was 17. Yeah. When it doesn't go the right way, it's it's the end of the world to me. Um, but I also think that for, at least for me, I can't speak for everyone, but for me, a lot of it depends on the performance as well. Like, mm-hmm. I've had an easier time with this Glover one than I have with any of them. And it's, like, after the John Jones loss, I I didn't even want to show my face at the gas station. You know, like I, I was embarrassed to go anywhere. Like if I had to, if I had to go somewhere and get something, like I would take my kids so that no one would talk to me. Um, and it, it, I don't know why, you know, I was, I, cause I just didn't perform. I didn't show up. You felt ashamed. Yeah, I was, it was ashamed. And, and like, I felt like I let my whole city down. Um, cause everyone was rooting for, it's like the more support you have, the, the, the worse it is, you know? Yeah. So, the harder the fall. Yeah, it was it was like that for a long time, and that's and that's why I took the Gustafson fight so quickly. I get, I just had to get it out of my system. Mm-hmm. Um, get people talking about something else. Well, I just had to redeem myself. It was it was more about how I felt about myself. Mm. Uh, I went to the I went to Sweden. I didn't even care if I won or lost. It had nothing to do. Like I didn't go there to win. I went there to get this awful feeling out of me. Like mm. this, I just felt dirty. Like I felt like I was naked all the time. You had to purge. Yeah, I just had to let it go. That's why I fought the way I fought. Like, I just went out and I just swung bombs the whole time. And and I didn't care where they landed. I just wanted to punch his body as many times as I could. That's why I was a little bit sloppy. And, you know, it was exciting, I'm sure. But, you know, I I just, my coaches were like, what in the hell are you doing? And I was like, I just got to get this out. Like, I'm sorry, guys. Like, whatever game plan you thought I was doing, I'm not. Uh, surprise yeah surprise i'm just like in when i was doing the interviews they were like so how do you think you're gonna win i was like i don't even know if i will like i don't i didn't come here to win like i just came here to to try to wreck a body that was it that's the only reason i'm here so tell us about your sirius xm radio show uh so i have a show with uh rj clifford on uh sirius xm fight nation it's channel 156 uh it's two it's every tuesday uh every tuesday night it's from six to eight eastern and uh it's a lot of fun me and rj get on there and we we talk about you know just whatever's going on in the sport and sometimes there's not a lot to talk about so you hear a lot of funny stuff coming from me and rj and and we do a lot of joking around and and but we get into some super deep analysis most of the time rj and i disagree uh so there's a lot of arguments <laughs> um love to see it's, yeah it's fun it's fun um and as of right now with the pandemic, it's only a one hour show. Yeah. Um, but as soon as things start opening back up, we'll go back to two hour shows and, and breaking things down a little bit better. Um, and I'm getting ready to start 
uh, a podcast with uh, my good friend, Laura Sanko. So that's going to be coming up here pretty soon. Amazing. She's awesome. She is. She is. I've known Laura a long time. She's a, she's an incredible person and it's really cool watching her own career uh, as a reporter for ESPN and the UFC takeoff. So that's cool. Yeah. Um, and I think that people just, you know, I, I, I think that right now, the way that the world is, I think the people need more content. Mm-hmm. So we're going to, we're going to pump out some more content. We're going to do a lot of post-show stuff. And, and I think we're going to get into a little bit of maybe a little bit of life stuff, you know, like I'm not going to far be at me to be the person giving anybody life advice, but. Um, I think people want to hear it from you though. Well, I, I think just, I think just talking through things, through things, sometimes people just are interested in other people's perspective. Yeah. Um, and I, and Laura and I are very similar. Like we, we live very humble Midwestern lifestyles. Like, Hmm. you've seen the neighborhood I lived in like I'm like I've had people in my own city like what are you doing here like I live here <laughs> you know like some people forget you know like I'm I'm very humble it's not like I'm driving you know Mercedes trucks or like I drive an F-350 dually like it's it's not like I'm that's just how we're, we're super humble we come from you know the the Midwest lifestyle and I think sometimes we're easier to relate uh to to the average person than a lot of other professional athletes and and reporters. So I, I think just really talking about current events and, 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 you know, try to stay away from the hot topics, you know, that are going to piss everybody off, but yeah, um, that's kind of our goal. Okay. I so love you're, more it. Than, you're more than welcome to come on sometime. I think that'd be a fun conversation with the three of us. Absolutely. Sign me up. I, you know, I, I, my listeners know I really don't do interviews, but I like our vibe and I think Laura's awesome. So sign me up. That'd be amazing. Well, I don't even think it would be too much of an interview either. I think that uh, I think you do a good job uh, just from the hour and a half that we've been on here. I think that uh, it's it's just been more conversational, you know, mm-hmm. just letting everybody get to know you and your thoughts and the person that you are. And that's the goal, right? That seeing the man behind the fighter. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of people don't get this side, you know, like it's kind of cool talking about some of this stuff because it's kind of stuff that no one ever has really kind of cared to listen to. Well, Anthony Lionheart Smith, you are awesome. And I look forward to chatting again. We are so over time. My editor is going to have a field day cutting this down to an hour, but (laughs) well worth it. Um, Anthony, give us your Instagram handle so people know how to find you and give us your show information one more time. Uh, So my show is Tuesdays from 6 to 8 Eastern on Serious XM Fight Nation channel 156. Uh, and all my social media handle handles are the same. They're at Lionheart A. Smith. Uh, that's uh, Instagram, Twitter. And then I think I have a fan page on Facebook that I'm not super active on. Mm. Uh, but my Twitter and Instagram is absolutely me. Um, and I try to reply to as many people as I can, as long as they're nice to me. Okay. I love that. Guys, you can find me at the Jenna Ben show on Instagram and YouTube. The show airs five days every week. This, uh, Anthony's first show will air on Tuesday at 8 PM Pacific Thursday at 9 AM Friday at 9 PM Saturday at 5 PM and Sunday at 7 PM, all Pacific standard times. And, um, you can go into my bio on Instagram to check out these times again. Thank you so much for the love and support. Y'all keep me going every week. And, um, We'll see you next week.